Okay, can I be can I be honest? I had to chuckle a little bit at one little part of that song. You know, I walked through the meadows. What, let, me, let me back up. Jesus, when he talked about this concept, he said that not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of the lilies of the field. And he had the sense to say that. And the songwriter um, said, I walked through the meadows and see the flowers are not, not there's, you know, it looked better than any girl on her wedding day. I thought, really? I mean, you would like actually write that? <laughs> I mean, maybe better than Solomon. I'm not sure about the girl on her wedding day thing. Last week, we began our uh, time in the Scripture reviewing the job description of pastors or elders in, in the church. You will remember that the word pastor is an old Latin word, which means shepherd or herdsman. And that's actually a great word to describe the responsibilities of a pastor because he serves as a shepherd. In fact, the Greek word poimen is almost always translated shepherd in the New Testament. And when used of church leaders, it refers to an elder shepherding or pastoring the flock that we call the church. We looked at three very important passages of Scripture in Ephesians 4, Acts 20, and 1 Peter 5, where we learned that the role of the pastor or elder as shepherd includes the following, includes leading the flock, which means overseeing the spiritual life and health of the church. It includes feeding the flock, and I suggested that that is done primarily by teaching the Word of God. It includes equipping this the flock, the pastor's job is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, and it includes protecting the flock. That is to, to be on our guard against false teaching that always seems to threaten the life of the church. Now, I suggested that last one is primarily what Paul is doing in his letter to the Colossians. He's protecting the flock from false teachers who were infiltrating uh, the church at Colossae. Now, as I thought about that list, reflected on it this week, I realized that I left off a very important responsibility of elders and pastors as shepherds. You see, as a shepherd cares for the flock, he has the opportunity to provide care for sick and wounded sheep to pour on the oil and to bind up the wounds. And wouldn't you know it, God gives pastors, elders, as shepherds that same responsibility in James chapter 5. It's right near the end of your New Testament. You go ahead and turn there because I'm going to do something today I don't normally do, and that is to take a break from our verse-by-verse study to look at this passage in James. And I'm going to do that for the following four reasons. First, as I mentioned, it is, on, it is on the pastor's job description to do what we're going to talk about. Second, last week I identified what I see as some unbiblical excesses and unbiblical ministry practices in the church today, even names of people by name. 
Unfortunately, many of those teachers and groups focus on healing. It's the, it's the platform for their ministries. And you may have left here with the impression that I don't believe in healing. I want you to know that's not true. I do believe in healing. I just struggle with some of the excesses and trappings, indeed the unbiblical teachings that come from some of those groups. So thirdly, I want us to look at James 5 and hopefully provide some biblical exposition, you know, fair and balanced reporting on this topic of healing. That was a little joke. Uh, a little heal on healing in the church, which leads to my last purpose. We have not had a special prayer time with our elders uh, for a little while now, our shepherds, and I want to provide an opportunity to pray for your specific needs this morning. So, you can be thinking about that because we want to pray for you whether your need is found in spiritual, moral, or physical sickness or weakness today. We're going to talk about that. Now, let me share with you briefly about this letter that we call James. You might be interested to know it's the first letter written in the New Testament. The author is James, not of James and John fame, but the half-brother of Jesus, and he is also the pastor or the shepherd of the church in Jerusalem. At this time, his flock has been scattered because of persecution, likely following the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. So, so he, he writes at the beginning of this letter, James, a bond slave of God and, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes, believers, who are dispersed, that is, scattered abroad, greetings. And then the very first thing that he says is this, very interesting, consider it all joy, my brothers, sisters, when you encounter various trials, challenges, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So, we know that this flock was scattered and suffering. And so their shepherd writes to encourage them. And as he gets to the end of his letter, he says to this, to this group of struggling believers, this scattered flock, we read these words, James chapter 5 verse 13 says this, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him or her with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Consider Elijah. It was a man with a nature like ours, and, and he prayed earnestly that it, that it wouldn't rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so, so, so there you have it. This is another 
important responsibility of elders to pour on oil, to bind up wounds, to pray for sick people in the church. And we read amazingly that when elders pray, the one who is sick will be restored. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. What does that mean? It's a little bit challenging. At the very least, it means if you are sick, the the elders are supposed to pray for you. So again, at the end of our time this morning, we're going to do that. I'm going to call uh, the elders, their wives who are able, who are here to be to, to the front, and I'm going to invite you to come and to give us the privilege of shepherding you by praying for you. But first, let's take a few minutes in in the text. The outline looks something like this. James tells us when we pray. He tells us how and what we pray. And then he gives us this amazing example of this effective, I'll even call it miraculous, prayer. We begin with when we pray or under what circumstances we pray. And James lists three times or three circumstances. When you're suffering, when you're not. He says when you're cheerful. And then third, when you're sick. Let's look at each one of those. Notice first he says, is anyone among you suffering? (laughs) Now remember, he's writing to oppressed, persecuted, scattered, suffering believers, those who have had to leave their homes, they're in the midst of severe trial. Is anyone among you suffering? Uh, Duh, James. So what does he say the believer should do if he finds himself or herself in trouble or suffering? Well, do what we do. He should try and fix it on his own, and when he has exhausted all possible resources and come to the very end of his rope, then he should pray. When all else fails, pray. Not exactly. He says your first action, not your last Your first should be prayer, which begs the question, how often do you find yourself in the midst of a difficult situation, you try to take care of it yourself, and then when all else fails, you think, well, maybe I should pray. How much better to pray first? That doesn't mean that we pray and do nothing, but it does mean that whatever we do, we should pray first. So, we are to pray when we're suffering, whether that is actual or potential, or potential tr- trouble. Second, James says to pray when you are not suffering. Well, kind of, sort of, you'll see what I mean. He says, is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Now, a couple of questions. Now, when you praise, who is it that you praise? It's not a trick question. God. So in our times of joy or cheerfulness, we are to sing praises to God because how easy it is to go to God seeking help in difficult times and how equally easy it is to forget to praise Him in the good times when things are going well, like we've had something to do with it. Now, What is it that brings good cheer or happiness? 
What is that? Is it a release from our circumstances, a relief from trial when things are going well? You know, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray, and then God delivers you, and now you sing praises. It might be that. Don't think so. It is perhaps a recognition that we have a God who knows our trials, is present with us in the midst of them, and knows what is best, and is always working all together for our good. James is writing to people scattered because of persecution. Are you cheerful? No, James. Or maybe so. You see, despite the point of the outline, when you're not I, suffering, I, I don't think really James really has two different classes of people in mind here in terms of circumstances. You know, some who were facing trials and some who weren't, some suffering, some not. The ones who aren't can now praise. Rather, I think he has two different classes of people in mind in terms of attitude. They were all going through difficult times, but some had found the grace to persevere in difficult times, to huh, count it all joy when they face trials of various kinds. And to these he writes, praise the Lord when he gives you the grace that you need to bear up under it. Paul would later write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Rejoice when? Always. Pray when? Without ceasing. In what circumstances? In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, you, you, don't, you don't have to praise when you're struggling, right? You know, when you're suffering, that's just when you pray, really. Well, you see, later, from prison, when he was shackled, we know because we're in the middle of those prison epistles, he would write to the church at Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. Just in case you didn't get that, let me say it again. Rejoice. The Lord, why? Because the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then, in the midst of your suffering. When it doesn't make sense, peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, doesn't make sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. People look at you and say, how can you be praising God in the midst of those circumstances? Are you nuts? Are you facing a heavy trial that would crush most people because of its intensity, but in the midst of it, you are finding the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Then sing praises to God. It is, his, it is His grace that has made you stand. Third, we arrive at the third time we pray, and perhaps the most difficult to understand. First, we pray when we are suffering. Second, we Praise God if, we were, if we're able to be cheerful in the midst of suffering. Third, what about when we're sick? He tells us what to do. Read it earlier. I don't know about you, but as I was reading that, several questions came to my mind that need to be answered. Like, 
What does it mean to be sick? Why call the elders of the church? Well, what is this prayer offered in faith? And pray tell, what does and the Lord will raise him up mean? Does that mean every time? And what does sin have to do with it? And what are, who are this each other that we are to confess our sins to? And what in the world is Elijah doing in this conversation? Let's answer those questions and we'll try to then piece it all together. First, what does sick mean here? We say, that's pretty easy, Scott. Sick means not well. Ill. Puny, as we say here in the South. In need of a doctor. Hope the health and life insurance premiums are paid. You know, sick. Actually, the word in the Greek is the word astheneo, which refers to physical, spiritual, or moral weakness, feebleness, or sickness. The reason I point this out is that while I do think that James has physical sickness primarily in mind, that physical illness may be the result of spiritual or moral weakness. We'll see that in a moment. So, later, when we ask you to come and to be prayed for by the elders, it may be that you are facing some spiritual or moral or relational or physical weakness for which we can pray. So he says, if you are sick, you need to call a doctor. Actually, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say not to, but in the calls that you make, you know, 911, doctor, mom, dad, usually in that order, they should also, those calls should also include the elders. Let me be clear before I go any further. Some believe this passage Others like it on healing, teach that we should never call a doctor and that we should never take medication. I personally don't believe that. Paul tells Timothy, for example, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. So it seems to, to include the, the medicinal value for Timothy's stomach ailment for whatever it was. Kind of interesting, Timothy had a stomach ailment issue. Paul also conveniently traveled with a doctor. His name was Luke. There's nothing wrong with doctors. I even kind of like them, most of them. Go to them. Nothing wrong with medications. If they are prescribed, you should take them. But in those calls, don't forget the shepherds. The elders of the church are to pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, the main verb of that clause that, that is this idea of praying. Anointing with oil is a participle that supports the, the praying, which, which means when you call the elders, the main thing is that they pray, and as they pray, they anoint you. Main thing, prayer. While the oil could have some medicinal value... I don't really think that's the issue here. I think it is symbolic of setting apart the person for the special attention of God. Whenever people were anointed in the Old Testament, it was setting them apart for God's special attention. I think the oil is symbolic of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. 
And we see the elders are to pray in the name of the Lord. That is, when we pray in Jesus' name, that means we pray for His will to be done and by His authority. It's all very interesting. If you are suffering or cheerful, you were to do the praying or the singing. Here, if you are sick, feeble, weak, the elders do the praying. Because it's the responsibility of pastors or um, shepherds, it's on their job description. I don't think that means they pray and you don't, but rather they pray in addition to your prayers. And I think it's because, one reason is because there's some other underlying issues that may need to be dealt with here. We're going to look at that in a minute. The elders are those leaders in the church who are charged with the responsibility of shepherding the flock. And part of shepherding, caring for sheep, is to bind up wounds. And the way that that can be done most effectively is for these under-shepherds to take your needs to the chief shepherd, who is the one who affords the healing anyway. Notice when they pray, the prayer is offered in faith. What? Okay, what does that mean? Is James setting up some special category of prayer? You know, there's one category where you pray in faith and the other category where it's not in faith. One that says, you know, if when you pray this prayer, if you really, 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 really believe it, it will come true. But if you really, 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 really believe it, but don't believe it, then it won't come true. I don't think that's what he's doing. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, James says, when we ask, we must believe and not doubt. I believe this prayer offered in faith is a prayer prayed believing unwaveringly that God has the ability to answer the prayer. It is a prayer of faith, of trust, without doubting God's ability. I will go further. It is trust, faithfully trusting God to do as He knows best and believing that He will indeed do so. And that prayer is the one that will make the sick person well. It is not the elders that make the person well. It is not the medicinal value of the oil that makes the person well. It is the prayer offered in faith, meaning it is God who affects the cure. It is the Lord who will raise him or her up. Now, here's the question of the morning that you've all been waiting for me to get to every time? It's a question everybody who has ever been sick or had someone they love who has been sick wants answered. Every time? Is it God's will to heal, heal every person every time? And you are on the edges of your seat waiting for me to answer. Does anybody want to take over right now? Let me let me ask you this question. Has that been your experience? Now, I know that we do not build our understanding of the Scripture on our experience. Simple question, has that been your experience? And I think we would all have to say, no. 
then one of three things, as I understand it, one of three things is happening. Either we did not do our job right, we did not pray in faith, or we, we didn't believe enough, we didn't say the right words, or we had some sin in our lives. Or the second possibility is God didn't do His job. He was asleep. He didn't, he didn't hear us. Or th- thirdly, it is not always His will, will to heal. There's obviously much discussion, and frankly, there's a lot of disagreement on this issue, even in this room. Those on one side of the debate say, if you pray and are not healed, then there is something wrong with your prayer or your faith, or perhaps there is some unconfessed sin in your life. And if you will just get your part right, God will do His part. Those on the other side say, no, we know from experience and some scriptural examples that God does not always heal. In fact, those on the other side of the debate go further. They say, if you say Jesus came to conquer sin and all the sin brought in with it, namely sickness and death, why is it post-cross that Christians even get sick? Why is it post-cross that Christians even die? If Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and He did, why will everyone in this room, barring the return of Christ, why will you die? I'm not going to get into the argument today. I'm not prepared, frankly, to do so. I do know this. Regardless of what some in the faith healing groups say, listen very carefully, there are Times in the Bible, God does make people sick. If you've heard God never makes people sick, they didn't or you didn't. Somebody has not read the Bible. It is also clear that some people are healed with lots of faith, little faith, or no faith. It is also clear that some people in the Bible are sick because of sin, and others are sick not because of sin, but so that God's grace would be demonstrated. It's all over the planet. Again, I'm not going to get into the, delve into the discussion today. Maybe someday soon I will do a study of healing uh, in the Bible and present some wonderful uh, exposition and series and answer all your questions. But I will weigh in just a just a bit, from this text. We are to pray in the name of the Lord, which means according to His will. And it does seem His will at times that people be sick. And we also know He always does what is right and best for His children. And we are told in this passage to pray for healing in faith, believing that God can and will heal. So we will do that. We're going to do what we're supposed to do and leave the results to God.
So that answers what sick means. It answers maybe why the elders pray and what the prayer of faith is or isn't. But what does sin have to do with the discussion? Why does James go on to say, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven? And why does he encourage us to confess our sins uh, to, to one another? And who is this one another? I mean, I'm really kind of tracking with this teaching on healing, but now you got to go and meddle in my sin. I think we need to recognize first that sin can be the cause of of specific sickness. What, what I mean is we all understand that sin caused is the cause of all sickness. But it is also true that specific sin can be the cause of specific illness. In 1 Corinthians 11, you see that some in the church at Corinth had eaten the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They were guilty of sinning, and they had become weak or sick, some had even died. So, sickness, even death, were the result of a specific sin. But that is not to say that every time someone is sick, it is because of sin, a specific sin. In fact, I'm going to suggest sometimes people in the Bible are sick for the opposite reason. They, they are facing physical challenges because of their close walk with Christ. Consider Paul's thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, it was, we would all have to agree, at least a physical challenge. It was, after all, a thorn in his flesh given to him to humble him because of his revelations, which I find kind of interesting given some of those movements out there. Maybe a little thorn in the flesh might humble some of, some of them. Uh, there's also, of course, the story of Job who was physically afflicted because, we'd have to agree with that, because of his righteousness. Consider also the passage in John chapter 9 which speaks of a man who was born blind. Disciples understood the prevailing thought of the day was, if you're sick, it's because of a specific sin. So they looked at Jesus and asked him, whose sin caused his blindness? Was it his or was it his parents? Kind of an interesting question. What they did not understand is that physical illness is not always the result of a specific sin because Jesus looked at them and responded, neither one but so that the, at this moment, the, the, the work of God could be displayed in his life. The implication is that God had made him blind. You say, I don't think I like the idea. Well, go to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is talking to God, and Moses, God is telling Moses, I want you to go and deliver the children of Israel. He says, man, you know, I really stammer and stutter a lot. And finally, God gets fed up with it. He says, who is it that makes man deaf? Who is it that makes him mute? And the implication to the, the answer to the question is God does. So that the glory of God could be displayed in his life. Moses, a stammering, stuttering man, not, not unlike me could be used by God. Again, the point is that sin may be the cause of sickness. That is why James says, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. And that presupposes that he has confessed his sin. So, 
The first question the elder should ask when summoned to pray for a sick person is this. Is there some sin in your life that needs to be confessed? I would also say this. Since weakness um, that you experience in verse 13 could be moral or spiritual weakness, not just physical, you could call the elders to pray for you for spiritual and moral strength. If you are struggling with some sin in your life, we want to pray for you. And we also want to hold you accountable, not in a condemning way, but in a shepherding, caring, gentle way to see you restored. I want you to think of the shepherd. The shepherd's got out in the field, out in the pasture. He's taking care of his He's he's taking care of his sheep, and one of them, as they are prone to do, they wander off, they get in thorns, and they get all cut up, or or they they fall off the edge of a cliff, and they they get a broken leg, and 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 the shepherd goes out looking for them and finds them. What does he do? You stupid little moron! What, what What are you doing wandering away from the... No, he doesn't do that. Picks him up gently. He binds his wounds, and then he says, now... Don't wander off anymore. James concludes this point by saying, therefore, since prayer and confession can result in healing, confession, uh, healing, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And I'm going to suggest that that confession of sin to one another certainly includes the people that you've sinned against. That's who we confess to. But also in the context, it's the confess to the elders who are not perfect. It just simply means these are righteous men. All all that means they're not perfect. It simply means that these are men who have sins confessed and forgiven. That's all. Very quickly then, we are given the story of Elijah, very interesting, as an example of a faith-filled, miraculous prayer in verses 17 and 18. By nature of his relationship with the Lord, even though he's just a man like you and me, He was able to effectively and powerfully pray that it would not rain, and it did not for three and a half years. Wow. Think about that. What does this mean that by praying, Elijah moved the hand of God? Yes. God used Elijah to accomplish his purposes and bring discipline on his disobedient children, but Elijah prayed and it did not, and then miraculously for three and a half years, and Elijah prayed and it did. This tells me that God will work the miraculous in the lives of His people, even in the healing of one beyond the help of medical science to answer prayer offered in faith according to His will. I believe that. So, the point of the message this morning is this. You can't, pray, you can't pray too much and you can't get too much prayer. Are you suffering this morning? Then pray. Stop trying to resolve your problems on your own. You have a God who loves you and wants to be intimately involved in your life. Are you cheerful this morning? Praise the Lord. It is His grace in your life that gives you a joy that the world cannot touch and the world cannot take. And then last, are you sick this morning? 
with either a spiritual or a physical or a moral weakness. And pray and allow the elders to shepherd you and to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. As you're standing, I'm going to ask the elders, if their wives are with them, maybe serving or whatever, um, to go ahead and come and make their way to the front. I've asked Michael to join us as well, and Laura uh, is a college uh, director. And I just want us to spread out across the front of the auditorium here. And worship team's coming, and they're going to sing. This is the way we do this here. They're going to sing, and it may be that you're cheerful this morning, and you just want to sing praises. I want to invite you to do that. You go ahead and sing Go ahead and sing some praises and recognize that you can do so because of God. And then as you watch people come forward, and if you know them, I invite you to pray for them as they're being prayed for by the, by the elders. But maybe you are sick this morning with one of those needs, and you need someone to pray with you and for you. We're, we're going to do that right now. We're, worship team is going to sing, and we're going to pray. Father, I pray in the name of Christ that you would be with us as a church family as we do church business. We believe that you are a God who heals. This is the truth that is taught throughout Scripture. We believe that. And right now we are going to pray believing, not doubting that you will heal. And we ask that you would do that as a demonstration of your great love towards your children. In Christ's name, amen. Whatever your need is, I invite you to come.